0: You're listening to The Self-Disruption Show on iHeartRadio with Audrey Lawrence. Hacking business, science, and psychology to smash your goals.
1: This is Audrey Lawrence, where we use science, psychology, and neuroscience to get you closer to your goals. Well, my friends, you're following us on all social media, and I am so grateful to our Instagram friends and our friends at WWPR in Tampa Bay. Hello, and welcome to the leadership family. Today, I have brought you the holy grail of thought leaders. We're talking one of the most well-watched TED Talks world-renowned speaker, author of, I think it's up to eight books. I'm going to have to double check that. The number one professor of online learning with tens of millions of students. The Wall Street Journal calls her revolutionary. She will go down as one of the greatest thinkers of our time. I call her my hero. Please give a welcome for Dr. Barbara Oakley. Oh, golly. Now I'm all bashful and tongue
0: tied. I mean, you know, I still I'm just like such a absolutely 100% normal person. And I, I just, I'm so I shouldn't be surprised that this great work from researchers is, is really proving phenomenally valuable for people when they're trying to learn. And all really that I do is I, I try to serve as a conduit between wonderful research from fantastic researchers who are so busy doing their research that often that you know con- learning how to convey it so that people can understand it in a simple way well, I have sort of a simple brain, so I'm good at that. I, you know, simplifying is my forte.
1: Well, you say simple, but your program is the number one program in the world about learning and capturing new opportunities to rethink and reframe how we see our brain, how we see ourselves, how we, how we value our own abilities. What do you think is the most common misconception that people have about their ability to learn?
0: Oh, there's so many misconceptions that people can have. Um, but I think, oh gosh, where do we start? A lot of times people will procrastinate <laughs> you know, and they forget about procrastination, simple procrastination as being a key to being able to be successful in your learning. And I mean, we can do all the growth mindset stuff, but let's get real. Saying you don't understand something yet, and that it is possible to change your brain does not give you tools to change your brain. And, and so Learning about simple techniques like the Pomodoro technique, which uh, I am forever grateful to if Italian Francesco Cedillo. It, he invented this wonderful technique, which is so simple, which is simply put away all distractions, focus for 25 minutes as intently as you can. Then you, once you're done, reward yourself for five minutes or so with something relaxing, You're not focusing again. This has so much good neuroscience in it. It's like take a break, and that little break will allow your hippocampus to, to, to reinforce ideas in long term memory. Remove all distractions. Well, that's perfect for people with, especially those with attentional disorders, that like anything can cause them to become distracted more easily. So if you remove simple distractions, it's really good for them. But of course, people often don't believe they can do things, you know, and that can be a limit with their learning. But if you tell someone that that's the limit to their learning, they'll go, oh, well, of course, I know that. And then when it comes to actually learning something that they think they can't learn, knowing that that mental block is what's preventing them from, from learning it, won't make any difference. It won't help them at all because they're just still really convinced that they can't learn this stuff. So a, a lot of times I think simply um, you know, having an external pull, like, you know, if I learned this, I could actually get a better job from it or these kinds of things can help you overcome those hurdles that you really are convinced are never um, something you can actually overcome.
1: I love the Pomodoro. I love what I call my matcha tea break. I wrote in my first book about, okay, just find your favorite little gift to yourself. And I have to dangle it just like the carrot, just like the technique says, and say, like, okay, Audrey, 25 minutes, I got to get into this if it's you name it painting the garage going through my mail even little things okay I trick myself into these little moments and the takeaway and and I'm interested to hear what you think about this suddenly we see Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's flow kick in at about minute 15 to 20 for me I'm no longer in my pomodoro technique I have moved into flow and suddenly I don't care, my distractions have been removed, which now perfectly aligns me to hit that place where I'm able to do more creative, longer work. Do you think there's a correlation between getting yourself into the process in that 25 minute window and then suddenly saying, all right, fine, I'm gonna paint the whole garage. I was gonna organize, Just my supplies, but now I'm going to go for it. Is there any connection between these two methodologies that you think could be sort of stacked on top of each other, where people could get even deeper outcomes? Uh, Well,
0: we know from neuroscience when you even think about something you don't like or don't want to do, it activates a portion of the brain, the insular cortex, that experiences pain. So, what is your instant response to pain? Is to draw away from it, so mentally, if it's giving you pain to think about something like, "Oh, I should do this economics homework," or "I should, you know, grade these worksheets from students," or whatever it is, um, you you know that if you simply went and peeked on Facebook or took a little, <laughs> you, you know, that instantly you would feel better. Now, you would feel better short-term, but long-term, if you keep doing that, it's not going to be so good for you. So, so the, the, the long and the short of it is that if you um, work past that first 20 or so minutes of pain in the brain, it actually will begin to dissipate and dissipate, and then you're getting into the floor. Let's say I'm starting work on a new book this is super hard for me. I can set a Pomodoro and I'm telling you the first three, four, five, ten 10 days that I'm doing Pomodoros on this book, it's agony. It takes me a while to start getting those little neural circuits retuned into things. But once I'm able to do that, or you know, if I could just say uh, sorry, Barb, you got to do a Pomodoro every day for three days on this thing. And that's that's how you're going to get started. Then the next thing I know is, you know, after a few days, it gets easier. Each Pomodoro gets easier. And then by day three, day four, all of a sudden I'm going, oh, you know, remember that 25 minutes well you know, I want to keep going. And if I do want to keep going, I let myself keep going 45 minutes, two hours, whatever. If I'm in the flow, I, I get going with the flow.
1: Pomodoro's created a beautiful technique that I can set a clock, prepare my matcha tea, give myself that task that I'm going to go out and do. And it is a method. It's a practice. Do you think that there is a known practice or what what do you think about creating a practice to find flow?
0: I think for me personally, I try to stay out of flow. Hmm. And the reason for that is flow is when you are working at the peak of your capacity for what you're comfortable and know how to do. But I don't want to be working with that. Mm
1: -hmm. I want to
0: be working with what I don't feel comfortable with, with what I don't know how to do, with what I am really struggling with. One thing I just have to bring up is so you and I both share a background where we're third culture kids and third culture kids that that phrase means that you grew up moving around a lot. And so I think for both of us, I think for third culture kids who grow up moving around a lot, they can more easily fall into the mindset of being comfortable with being uncomfortable because they've so often, whether they like it or not, they're being put into a new situation where they're uncomfortable. And then once they get used with that, then guess what? You're up and moving again again. to somewhere else. And this actually, when you grow up that way, or even if you've had it happening as an adult, I think it gives you um, a really good way of forcing you're used to stepping back, whether you're comfortable or not, and really beginning at being able to kind of tackle what you need to do, often with a fresh perspective. So I I, I think that's part of why you're like comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, that makes sense because you like I have gone through the experience of the disadvantages, but also the
1: advantages yeah.
0: that that kind of upbringing can give you,
1: and that the pain is fleeting. You know, you go into a new school and a new school means new friends, it means new activities, it means a new home, a new base, a new country in my case, again and again, Um, but what I've learned is a takeaway and I didn't even realize it, see that's why you're so good at taking these experiences and making them so tangible. The takeaway is that it was very fleeting. It could actually be quite beneficial that once you learn to master those uncomfortable moments and thrive in those moments, you were able to really understand them. And now I have a deep engagement and I'm excited to go into a room full of strangers and speak or talk to a stranger on the bus. And I love that train study about the value of talking to somebody on the, brain, or talking to somebody on the train, Uh, and what your expectations were for that experience, that uncomfortable experience. And most often we misjudged how we were going to like it or not like it. Our brain very often is missteering us. Does that frustrate you? Because I get very frustrated at the idea that my brain that is supposed to help me sometimes puts me on these paths of not achieving the outcome or the success that I want. What do you say to students when we start unfurling the neuroscience? They have that aha moment about why our brains aren't always helping us.
0: I really want to um, help them every way I can. So sometimes students are like they've had really traumatic previous student uh, experiences in um, in learning engineering, and and it really breaks my heart. And you know, so, you know, I can't help it, but I'll be, um, you know, there might be a test and I might be kind of, you know, just pointing a little bit at something because you know that student needs a little encouragement. Um, but then other times there'll be this really just a nasty student in the back of the class who just thinks you're an idiot and, um, you know, and the last thing they want to learn about is electrical circuits, because they're going into mechanical engineering. Oh my, that's like right up to my, right up my alley, because I'm like, oh, you, you don't know, convert you to become an electrical engineer. And you'd be shocked if you just treat a person who despises you with some real, you know, dignity you can turn them around and like get them to go all sorts of ways they never wanted to go themselves originally. And it just, but um, there's so many good people. And if you find a way to unlock that goodness, um, it's, uh, to me, that's one of the greatest experiences of being a teacher.
1: Well, my gosh, I don't think there's anyone on the planet who's taught more students than you. You have, from what I read, more participants in your program than all of the combined classes at Harvard Online which is, I mean, such a tremendous, you know, you said off air that you thought you were ordinary. And I would say that it is your extraordinariness and the down to earth transparency about your true life experiences and traveling the world and going up North. What I can say to my listeners is that you have to take her class. You have to grab her book. You've got to watch if you haven't seen it because it is the most transparent blueprint to creating success in your own life. It's giving you an opportunity to see with new eyes how your own brain works. Why do you think science is such an important factor that adding that addition neuroscience to your teaching makes such an impact? It did, certainly did for me to the learners.
0: Well, there's research even that shows that all you have to do is like allude to the brain somehow and people get magnetized, you know, they're just riveted and you can add a degree of legitimacy to whatever you're talking about by simply referring to something neuroscientific sounding. But the bottom line is that education itself as a practice is founded on these really old Often completely obsolete and out of date and wrong theories. And people kind of know that. I mean, in engineering, uh, you get a theory wrong and the plane goes down and everybody dies. You, you give immediate feedback when you have a, a theory that's wrong. In in the social sciences, you can have a theory that's dead wrong, and it'll sail along for 50, 100 years. And nobody really says boo, because everybody's always been brought up on the same theories. So I think people like neuroscience, because especially when you can try to... Um, approach it with honesty and integrity, there is so much insight, brand new insight that's not being conveyed through schools of pedagogies, through schools of education, that is really beneficial for people. I mean, if you had asked a school of education to produce a course on learning, what they would have given you is two weeks on the history of education, two more weeks on theories of education, two more weeks on how babies learn. And then at the very end, you might get a little tiny bit of how do you practically learn more effectively, and maybe a a little tiny lecture on neuroscience, but nothing too difficult because, you know, people just don't understand neuroscience is really deep. We turned that completely around. So with my co-instructor, Terry Sinowski, who is one of the world's leading neuroscientists, the Francis Crick Professor at the Salk Institute, we could convey these deep and difficult, seemingly difficult ideas from neuroscience using wonderful metaphors and analogies and visualizations so you could see what was going on very, very easily and use it practically and it's completely different information, far more practical and and far more insightful, I think, than what is typically taught in standard schools of pedagogy about how people learn effectively. And I uh, and I think people just really loved the idea that you know there's lots of practical insights. And I did almost all the video editing myself, and so when I edited it, it was like, yeah, I mean, is it corny? is it not top caliber editing? Absolutely. It is
1: fabulous.
0: Is it it funny? Is it like not boring a lot of the time? Is it because I edited it to keep me from being bored. So I'm, you know, it's like a little zombie head coming out here or, you know, it's always appropriate humor. And it's not like it's everything is funny, but there's enough there that it's like, people will keep pushing that lever like rats, you know, to get that little hit of dopamine when the humor does appear. So anyway.
1: There's tens of millions of people who have taken this program. If we're going to look at data to make a a judgment about if something works or something doesn't work, I mean... There's no question this whatever format and i know i read that you did it in your basement for a few thousand dollars compared to high production programs but guess what folks the takeaway is it's not necessarily the dollars put into the production of something it is the true gift and artwork of sharing in a way that connects with an audience that but your connection you're not just connecting to tell a story You have illuminated an entire generation of learners that if you think about the compounding effects, I mean, I know the the effect it had on my life. If you think about 10 million people now reframe how they look at personal challenges, how they look at the default mode network, how they look at their own brain, how they look at branding, how they look at resting, how they look at decisions to sleep, that your brain connects neural paths in sleep is, is brilliant gift. Who knew now I value my sleep in a new way. There's no challenge that you are dollar for dollar, the best spend on the planet for production. Can you come and produce for me? Because my goodness, like (laughs) what a beautiful gift. And that is just what it needs to be. Simple, direct, understandable takeaways about hello neuroscience of all the things in the world to be able to put into little gifts that I can put in my pocket. And I wanted to tell the people at the grocery store, like I'd be checking out saying, do you know that when you sleep, your brain can grow? That if you do something new, neural connections are made and that builds new paths. And you just added on to your, literally added on to your brain. Like I was passionate about the topics and felt that I wanted to share it with the world. I say, keep making these. Keep bringing these concepts to the world. We need more of this. We need to understand and not be afraid of neuroscience or be afraid of psychology. We need to not think that it is a highfalutin science sitting on an Ivy league shelf locked behind gates that other people don't have access to because it is very simple takeaways that all of us can learn in 15 minute little intervals, sometimes seven minute little videos and you can apply it to your life that day you can go to a dinner party and impress somebody you can make real connections about how you can make changes in your own life and then you can start identifying some of the behavior you know for me barbara i was able to forgive the kid who didn't focus very well my whole life was oh audrey you're not a very good focuser um pay more attention pay more attention and when I learned about what focus really is and how to be off focus and what happened in my brain about long-term learning being off focus, the penny dropped for me. And suddenly I found the value in that default mode network, just being lost in thinking and connecting the dots and coming back into a piece of knowledge and suddenly it stuck. And I was able to apply it to my life in real ways, in ways that I was able to share and understand, no studying, ways that made sense to me that I could go and apply it and share it. I mean, it's just, it's a secret sauce of magic you've tapped into because your class is just viral. It is just viral. And everybody says, I'm not the only disciple of your work. Everybody's crazy about the work. So what's coming down the pipe for you? What's next for Dr. Barbara Oakley?
0: Well, (laughs) I always keep in mind, you know, and I hope everyone does it. My colleague, Terry Sanowski, is like a, he's my co-instructor in learning how to learn. And he's just unbelievably awesome. He's, he's, he is. you know, he is part of the secret sauce that makes it all happen. And so I'm, we're continuing to work together. And now I am madly working away on a, uh, yeah, just, wrote with Terry and uh, a K-12 teacher and professor of pedagogy, Beth Rogowski, a book called Uncommon Sense Teaching. And it's all about um, how to teach effectively using insights from neuroscience. And one of the gratifying things for me is that people are saying, oh my gosh, this is like so different from learning how to learn. I mean, it's not just some kind of regurgitation of how do you learn effectively. It really, by taking a teacher's eye view and going much deeper into things you've never even touched on, we're getting so many insights about learning. And so now with the success of that published book from Penguin Random House um, in July, or June of this year, then uh, I, uh, my colleagues and I, have produced the first of the uh, massive open online courses. There'll be three altogether, and it gives the, it reinforces and it puts into even more depth these great ideas that are super helpful, I think, for teachers, you, you know, about the kinds of things that you think, I mean, let's think about bullying. You, you know, well, how do you stop bullying? Well, guess what? a lot of the ways that we teach um, about how to stop bullying actually make us feel better, but do nothing to stop bullying. Because if you really look at the neuroscience of how you change people's brains, what can often happen is there's a a small percentage, the ones you most want to reach, the ones who are the worst bullies, who will sit there in class and they'll nod. And if you give them tests, they'll ace the tests and you don't make a single change in their behavior whatsoever. I mean, as a teacher, wouldn't you like to know that? Instead of these programs coming in and saying, ah, we're gonna change all these things and we're gonna, our behavior, whatever, is really gonna change everybody. Oh, it doesn't change everybody, but yeah. Well, the reason is you didn't put enough money into your training. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's currently happening. It's like not acknowledging real life insights into human nature that we are getting from neuroscience and then making reasonable and rational decisions about how to allocate our monies to best help our students. You know, and sometimes that does not involve putting enormous amounts of money into programs that really don't work. And then doubling down even further when they still don't work because they can't work because you know of what we know about how the human brain works. I mean, you know that's just like the tip of the iceberg. We talk a lot about um, procedural learning systems and uh, declarative learning systems and why both systems are important, but also about neurodiversity and why some people, for example, those with dyslexics. Uh, find it difficult to learn in certain ways through that procedural system. Whereas those on the autistic spectrum can find it difficult to learn more on the declarative system and why it's important to balance both ways of teaching for most students, but allow those those ones who are are, are sometimes our most creative students to not be put in a box and forced to learn just like all the other students. So, you know, all of these- I give these
1: that a big amen.
0: <laughs> are the kinds of things that we, we explore in, um, in both the book and uh, the online courses.
1: I can't wait. I cannot wait. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, Barbara.
0: Oh, okay. If you just go to my website, um, barbaraoakley.com, and you'll see right there, there'll, there'll be my books, um, mine and my co-instructors and co-authors and colleagues are books and also the, the online courses. And the great thing about the online courses is, you know, and I love this about Coursera especially, they, they give, the, the courses are all available for free. So it's like, you know, I mean, what, what could be better? You can go in, you can like learn all this. And the thing about books is that I love books because like for me, I like to collect rocks. I like to collect rocks instead of watch birds because rocks don't move. You can like get them and you can examine them and you can't do that with books. I mean with birds. But the thing is, it's kind of like that, uh, that same difference. If you read a book, it's there. You can underline, you can think about, you can draw and do all sorts of things to books and it's right there and it's not going to move. But you can't have moving pictures that really illustrate ideas. So the best form of learning is to have a book that you can mark up, but also have videos where you can see the visualizations and the animations. Um, and so that's that's the way I love to teach and that's that's what I'm working on now.
1: Well, I love it. It's been transformative for me, for sure. As a dyslexic who struggles to be able to absorb content in books, to be able to read it on the screen during a lecture with you and your great jokes from your basement was easily the most informative aspects of my journey into educating myself. Before we go, Barb, I want to ask you a question I ask everybody, and it's sort of a top of mind question. And it can just be whatever is, you know, in your heart and in your head. If you were to give someone one piece of information, what would be the one thing we should know?
0: Don't just follow your passions. Broaden your passions.
1: There you have it, folks. It's Barbara Oakley, and you're listening to Audrey Lawrence on The Self-Disruption Show, where we use science, psychology, and neuroscience to get us closer to our goals. I want to thank all of our listeners, and please follow us on all your social media outlets.
0: Thank you for listening to The Self-Disruption Show with Audrey Lawrence. To learn more, go to AudreyLawrence.org and follow us on your favorite social media. Don't forget to like and subscribe.